Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work on your own salvation or work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in which you shine like stars of the world, holding forth the word of life so that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I rejoice. And I rejoice together with all of you. In the same way, also, you should rejoice and rejoice together with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be consoled by news of you. I have no one so like myself who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy, worthy as you know, how like a son with a father he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I will also come soon. Still, I think it's necessary to send you Aphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am more than eager to send him, therefore in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy and honor, such people, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for those services that you could not give me. May God bless the hearing, reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living God. Amen. Therefore, my beloved, just as you always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. It's hard to catch everything that was in that Job passage. That's, a, I think, one of the most powerful passages in all of Job that got read for you here this morning. Because Job is basically saying to God, you can't get rid of me that easily. Though you slay me, yet I will serve you. And one way of translating one of the verses is, all the days of my life, I will wait for my change. Which means either, either I need to change, my circumstance needs to change, or you need to change, God. But I'm waiting for it, Right? I think that's a powerful, poetic imagery of part of what's entailed in this idea 
of working out your salvation in fear and trembling. One of my favorite novels of all time is John Irving's A Prayer for Owen Meany. Okay. I find John Irving, about every third book of his is profound. All right? And they're all profane often at the same time, but I, 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 I love many of his books, or some, I love his books. And there was also, I, you may, the movie version of this is, is unfortunately not that great. It's called Simon Birch. I actually saw a play uh, uh, based on it as well. It's not, it's not nearly as, as good as the book. And you may, if you haven't read the book, uh, Owen Meany is this amazing character. Uh, it's about, really about Owen Meany and his best friend. And Owen Meany has a, has a, a shrill little voice. He's small. He never grows, and his voice never changes. And there's a series of all kinds of, of tragedies and events as these two boys grow up together. And there's an unfortunate accident at a baseball game. Um, Owen Meany accidentally kills his best friend's mother with a foul ball, right? But this is a couple passages from the book. So the book is a memoir of Owen Meany's best friend written later in life. He says this, I'm doomed to remember a boy with, with a wrecked voice, not because of his voice, or because he was the smallest person I ever knew, or even because he was the instrument of my mother's death, but because he is the reason I believe in God. I am a Christian because of Owen Meany. Another part of the book, he says, Owen, Owen Meany, who rarely wasted words and who had the conversation-stopping habit of dropping remarks like coins into a deep pool of water, remarks that sank the truth to the bottom of the pool where they would remain untouchable. And then this is something from Owen Meany himself towards the, men, the middle or the end of the book. Owen Meany says this, Last night I had a dream. Now I know four things. I know that my voice doesn't change, but I still don't know why. I know that I am God's instrument. I know when I'm going to die. And now a dream has shown me how I'm going to die. I'm going to be a hero. I trust God will help me because what I'm supposed to do looks very hard. Now, our lives are not a John Irving novel, hopefully. <laughs> but we too, like Owen Meany, know that part of our destiny is that we all will die. As Christians, we do not know, but we believe, have faith that our lives are in Christ and God is with us, that our destiny is to be with God forever and that we are loved by God and have been given grace. We believe that and by the presence of the Holy Spirit frequently experience that. And this idea of believing that God has our destiny, a feeling sustained by God, the idea that we're loved by God, that God is with us, that our destiny is to be with God forever, 
That's what's entailed in the idea of salvation. So when we see that word salvation, it's all of that entailed, that we belong to God, that you belong to God, that God has given you God's grace, that God is with you even when you're not consciously with God, and that all your days belong to God and you will be with God forever. Or as Paul says in our text, for God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is God's part of the equation. Faith is a gift from God. Faith is sustained by God. Faith's destination or gravity is God. So if all of that is God's work, which is good, (laughs) it's not based on us, what does it mean to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Well, Soren Kierkegaard, who actually wrote a book entitled Fear and Trembling, we talked about that book when we did the Abraham story, said this in his journals, actually volume four, if you wanna look it up. Life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forward. So the meaning of our lives, the ultimate meaning of our lives, is somewhere out there in God. And by faith, we believe that that meaning is that we belong to God. Okay? But we're not there yet. And so faith is not only believing in the destination, trusting in the grace of God, but it's the journey to that place. So we believe it by looking backwards, but it has to be lived forwardly. So we trust in the good that God will do, but we're still confronted with living out this life in awe of God, in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of what Paul calls a crooked and perverse generation. In fear and trembling, we live in the midst of the tragedies and suffering of this life. I tried not to look at the videos or watch the news much I read, I read a lot of news, but I try not to look at the pictures. Though I, I know what's going on, right? And so what happened in southern Israel? The 150 plus hostages, the thousands of dead in Gaza. But we also know and have personal stories that also challenge our notion about God or at least challenge our faith as well. Like today's text, Apophroditus. He almost died doing a good work. In fact, you can read it saying, uh, I really appreciate you sending him. I'm sending him back. (laughs) Okay. Thanks a lot for the gifts. Take him back. Because he almost dies. So, I mean, we've all seen that happen. You know, I had a friend of mine um, 
we, we took kids to camp when I was a young life area director. Uh, one of his leaders drowned in this, we took, would take kids on whitewater rafting. You know, most of the time you do whitewater rafting, it's not that dangerous. And it wasn't that dangerous either, but their boat flipped over, she got her kids on an island, and she just had this freak accident and died. This college kid with the rest of her life in front of her, who gave up her summer to work with high school girls, died doing it. Timothy. You know, the, the story with Timothy, you know, we talk, we, we can, you know, the emphasis of the story is what a great guy he was. But there's this really tragic statement in the midst of it saying that most everyone else seeks their own interest. So we have big tragedies. We have our personal tragedies. We even see people getting hurt and dying doing good things. People dying way too early. And amidst all of that, in the name of religion, we see all this bad stuff happening. And it's easy to become cynical. It's easy to become disillusioned. How do all these things happen? Well, the more important question from the perspective of faith is how do we live through these things in faith? I mean, I could give you a very long analysis of why what's happening in Gaza is happening now. Unfortunately, I know a lot about this. Emphasis on unfortunately. But that doesn't... <laughs> That doesn't make the children less dead. That doesn't make the tragedies any less tragic. Understanding it certainly is not going to solve it, right? But our faith gives us a way to live in these things, to live through these things, to live with fear and trembling in the midst of these tragedies and compromises. You know, earlier in chapter two, which we've talked about the last two weeks, Paul gives us one way to live through these things, with humility, right? With self-emptying. Not my will, but your will. We follow the model of Jesus. Jesus was totally free because he had given his life to God and to the service of others. And Paul says that is a model for how we should be. But he extends this in verse 17. He says, you know, he goes back and forth between this hope like, I, I look forward to seeing you soon, as he's got a probable death sentence on him as he's sitting in prison, right? He says, but even I'm being poured out as a libation over a sacrifice. My life is a drink offering to God. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling reminds us that faith is the most important thing we do in this world. I, I don't think we believe that, actually. But it is. And that doesn't mean loving our families, caring for our community being a good friend, 
being a good spouse, taking care of, of those around you. Those are all those are all extremely important. But your faith is of infinite importance, literally. And if you want all your other loves to be well ordered, then this is this is the primary place that that happens. Uh, I had a great, it was my father-in-law's 87th birthday. And um, I got to meet uh, Laura's aunt for the first time. And, and she's now my favorite relative that doesn't have any of my genetic material. Right? <laughs> well, no, you're my favorite relative. All right, that's, see, that's why anytime you say favorite, you're in trouble, right? So just leave it out. Okay. Anyway, I love her. And she was fine. She's just this fire boy, 83, 84 years old. And just this lovely woman with about this fruit, as thick Brooklyn accent as you can ever get her. She's Long Island. But anyway, she said, I went to a rock concert the other night. And I thought she was joking. She said, I went to some group. They're from the 60s, I think. And I go, well, and she starts saying, they, they sang Hotel California. She went to the Eagles concert. <laughs> which was awesome. Which, which is kind of comforting because I'm an Eagles fan, but then I didn't feel so old being an Eagles fan, right? Because at any rate, uh, which reminded me of another old man uh, musician, uh, Bruce Springsteen. And my favorite Bruce Springsteen song is Thunder Road, okay? Not a particularly edifying song, but a great rock and roll song, right? And there's a line, in, there's a couple lines in Thunder World, Road that says, well, I got this guitar and I learned how to make it talk. And my, back, my car's out back if you're ready to take that long walk from your front porch to my front seat, the door is open, but the ride ain't free. Okay. Now, grace is not transactional like what Bruce Springsteen's talking about there. Okay. But grace is an open door. And it's free. But it's also costly in one sense as well. And I think that's part of the problem. We take faith very lightly in our day and age. We've made it something very personal, almost like a side hobby, something that you can do on your own if you want to, right? It's such a strange thing. I mean, the most, if, it, if God is true, okay. Now, if it's, this isn't true, that, then it's maybe a waste of time. But if, if God, if there is a God, okay, if Jesus did come because he loved the cosmos, then the most important thing you do in your life is what you do around God, right? But <laughs> one thing American Christians are equally good at, other than sinning, is that we're also confident that our particular side is right and that God is on our side, that we take grace very casually. We're sure that we get it. We're not so sure that our opponents get it. But genuine faith is something that convicts you. To be in the presence of the living God is to receive peace and grace, but there needs to be a little fear and trembling as well because it is the awesomest of things.
I think grace is love and freedom, but it also entails discomfort, conviction, and it should have a lot of humility and a measure of fear and trembling. What I'm about to do is really bad form for preaching, but I want to end with an extended passage from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. Some of you are reading that right now. And I think this really is why we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Costly grace, this is from Bonhoeffer, is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a human will gladly go and sell all that he or she has. It is the pearl of great prize to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a person will pluck out the eye which causes them to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a human their life. It's grace because it gives a human the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin. It's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it costs God's life of his son. Grace is costly because it compels a person to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It's grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling is kind of like making bread. And Jesus used this analogy about the kingdom, right? You don't cause the bread to rise. You don't bake the bread. But unless you needle that yeast through it, right? It's not going to rise. And so I think there's a sense that's what we need to do. You've been given this most amazing gift, the gift of life in God. There is a pathway through these dark times. There is a bomb in Gilead. There is forgiveness. There is mercy. There is new beginnings. But it is the most significant and substantive thing that you will ever deal with in your life. A little fear and trembling is not a bad thing. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand together and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. 
On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to continue our worship by giving to God your gifts, your tithes, and offerings, and allowing the bell choir to lead us in the sacrifice of praise. <laughs> 